Praise the Lord, everybody. Welcome to Sunday morning. So glad that you are here with us. We are excited about what God is giving us to share with you today. Uh, I believe that this is a word from the Lord for both the church and the world. And I think that we can, we can take, it, take advantage of it if we take some time to pay attention to what's being said. I know that uh, in this new age of technology, we have the ability to reach out to you uh, in your homes and um, wherever it is you might find yourself today uh, because we are not able at this time to come together in human fellowship and physical fellowship uh, because of the restrictions that are in place. But it becomes very easy to be distracted by the things in our homes. And instead of taking this moment and sitting down and hearing what God is saying to us, we uh, almost make it as if it's background noise, uh, in a sense, uh, while we do other things. I encourage you, I implore you to stop everything you're doing, to take a moment to sit down and dedicate this next uh, bit of time uh, whatever the time is that God gives us together today, however long this may go, that you take this moment to sit down, to stop doing anything, to turn off uh, all of your uh, devices in your home that would pull away from this specific moment of giving God uh, attention to what he's saying. Because I believe that this word uh, is for you uh, this word is something that's going to prepare you because uh, if you think things are bad now, we have not yet seen what the enemy is desiring to do. So I encourage you, let us come together. Let us put down all of our duties in our homes, our honey to-do lists and all these different things and just dedicate this next bit of time to hearing from God and to uh, allowing our spirits to be fed from his word, uh, taking the instruction that God gives and using it for our good so that we can become the mighty soldiers God has ordained us to be. Today, I wanna talk to you about a, a war that uh, was raging in the desert. I was going to go another way this morning. Um, I, my plan was to talk to you today about communion and about health. Uh, it seemed to be uh, befitting of the time that we're in when the health of man is under such an attack. And it seemed like, um, you know, that was the right way to go. And I had prepared myself for that. But God, this morning, moved me by the Spirit uh, to shift gears and to move in a slightly different direction. Uh, we're all eager to get out uh, of our forced imprisonment in these harsh places, the prison of our homes. Now, I say that with all snarkiness, but seriously, we are all excited at the announcement uh, that the governor has made here recently that, uh, at least in the state of Ohio, beginning May 1st, there is going to be a gradual return to a less restrictive freedom. We are here in America free. Um, that means different things to different people, 
but even our freedom has been restricted because of the uh, health and welfare of uh, the American uh, nation. Now, looking at Facebook, I see all the things that we miss, uh, all the things that we've been prevented from enjoying since the stay-at-home order was given and uh, since we've all been forced to kind of stay in our homes except for essential travel. And what our, uh, you know, it makes you wonder when the restriction is free, what's our first visit going to be? It reminds me of a, of a meme that my wife put out the other day, uh, a picture of Kermit the Frog standing, uh, gazing out of his bay window with a caption, something to the effect of, I know you all think I am fine, but what I really need is to go eat at a Mexican restaurant again. It makes you, makes you kind of wonder. The idea uh, being that we have been prevented from enjoying things that our flesh craves, almost like a 40-day forced fast. Uh, you know, I think we sometimes get fearful that one day the pastor might come along and say, you know, let's all go on a 40-day fast, and uh, we come up with every excuse why we can't go on this fast, but it, it appears that we, in a sense, have been put on a 40-day fast, and we've been forced to uh, refrain from doing some of the things that we uh, desire to do. But I feel like we are preparing or in the preparation stage of coming out of this thing. But the question still remains, what cravings are we going to fulfill when our freedom, unrestricted freedom, is restored? This brings me to the greatest war that was ever fought uh, in the history of mankind that took place in a desert place, a wilderness, if you will, a war over the cravings of our carnality. It is my duty as the pastor of Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center and uh, as a surrogate pastor to some of you who have taken time to uh, listen to us here at, at the ministry, it's my duty to prepare you for the freedom that is coming and to show you the obstacles that are standing in your way of enjoying your freedom with some level of success. Now, we believe and desire to have great success in life, but many of us in our freedom uh, are being uh, robbed of that success that is promised to us through the word of God. Let me talk to you just for a moment about temptation. Uh, I really can feel the spirit of God uh, welling up on the inside of me, so I'm gonna do the best I can to teach this. Uh, I try to remain seated because I know if I stand up, all bets are off and the preacher just might come out. But if I can stay in this chair, maybe I can stay calm, cool, and collected and just talk to you this morning. So those of you that are looking for a teacher this morning, just pray that God keep me in the chair, uh, so to speak. Uh, but those that are looking for a preacher, this might be the time you start praying that the preacher man comes out. But let's just talk for a moment about temptation. Uh, temptation is defined as a cause or occasion of enticement, uh, the source of that which draws you away from one thing and propels you into another for the purpose to establish an end goal. And for the believer, the end goal is always 
evil when the temptation is of the enemy. Uh, let's give you a couple of foundational scriptures from which we will build the framework of the, uh, the uh, lesson today. Matthew, the fourth chapter, the first verse, reads like this. Uh, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Mark uh, goes on like this. Mark 1, 12 and 13 says, and immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. Now, I want you in the book of Matthew 4 and 1 to underline or highlight the word led. And in Mark 1, 12 through 13, uh, it would be good to highlight or underline the word driveth. Uh, let's go on into the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, uh, the first through the second verse. That's Luke 4, 1 through 2. And it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led. There's that word again. Uh, highlight and underline that. That is a key word and necessary uh, for our understanding. Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. I want to take some time today and engage you in a, a sort of discussion about this famous temptation of Christ, which has uh, become the temptation of mankind. We have read some of the correlating scripture referencing uh, what is in all actuality the greatest battle that was ever waged in human history. I know it has not received the same level of media attention as the COVID-19 crisis has received, but this event demands an analytical and an exhaustive examination of what took place so that we can be triumphant in the life we are now living. Uh, a debriefing of sorts, if you will, for the military-minded, uh, like we get daily from our government officials about the next steps that we're going to take or uh, the state of this uh, battle that we're raging against Corona. Uh, in the debrief of these texts, we will find the greatest battle strategy that was ever devised to thwart the evil plan and to cause the power behind that evil to ultimately flee from you. Hallelujah. Uh, there's, there's joy in knowing that there is a way to get out. There's joy in knowing that there is a way of escape. There is joy in knowing that God has prepared us with an indwelling power that will not cause us to run from it, but cause it to run from us. Somebody ought to just say hallelujah. Somebody ought to just run around your house right now and thank God that he place the spirit on the inside of you that would engage the enemy head on and cause the enemy to be the one that is fleeing. Lord, God, help me today. Uh, this battle plan that uh, was executed uh, has been divided into three phases uh, with uh, an enveloping endgame. The word of God describes the devil's battle plan like this. In 1 John 2 and 16, it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. Uh, these three climactic assaults upon Christ dealt with three basic areas in existence in human life. The temptation to make bread out of the stone uh, speaks of the lust of the flesh. The temptation on the exceeding high mountain is detailed uh, in Matthew 4 and 8 where it reads, uh, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. In the viewing of the kingdoms of the world, this speaks to us of the lust of the eyes, the things that you see through not just your natural eye, but also your spiritual eye. And the temptation to jump from the pinnacle of the, of the temple speaks of the pride of life. This threefold assault plan experienced by Christ comprises in principle all of the temptations of the human experience, of the things that you will deal with in your humanity. And it's important for us to realize uh, this was not the first, nor would it be the last temptation to be brought against our Lord. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, reading scripture, you find that Paul was direct in his teaching that Christ, our high priest, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, or better said, yet uh, never giving in to sin. Now this includes all facets of temptation from the types of temptation to the quantity of, of them. Uh, now we are faced then with a conundrum. Uh, we are beings uh, who examine things based upon our own experience uh, and then we form a hypothesis uh, which is a compilation of gathered facts and learned ideas. I'm trying to talk to somebody today. Could Christ be tempted in this manner or in manners similar to our own and yet be without sin while at the same time remain a man or a person who is under the power of carnality. Uh, in all honesty, we all struggle with temptation. Uh, we win some and we lose some. Uh, the clouded shroud of our own limited victories sometimes causes us uh, to want to believe that there is no way to stay continuously victorious when we are faced with such an onslaught uh, such as some of us face on a daily basis. The addict uh, knows this feeling all too well. Each day of sobriety becomes a day of victory over a desire, a desire to give in to uh, a controlling power. But there are days when you're on the top of the mountain and it seems like whatever that addiction might be, it doesn't have power over you. But anyone that's dealt with an addiction understands that there are days when you are in your low point. There are times Times when you are you're at your weakest and it seems like that controlling power gains victory over your life and you subdue or give in to temptation. Oh, Father, help us today. For, for some, it becomes the inevitable to wonder how a sinless Christ could be in any real sense the subject of temptation. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, looking at the history of man, you'll find that this becomes a, a hotbed of discussion during the Middle Ages, uh, some taking the view that it was impossible for Christ to have committed sin in the first place, while others uh, believe that he could have committed sin if he had so desired. Regardless of what camp you are in, the one thing that comes to mind and comes into clear view uh, is that Jesus had the power not to sin. And that was the power which humanity most urgently needs. And it is something through revelation of God's instruction through his word that shares with us a knowledge that that very same power is alive in you. You too have a power not to sin if you choose not to. Uh, the striking thing in the examination of this whole idea is that we have to have some power or the same power to, to sin or to give in uh, to the power that's luring us away from our righteousness in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is the shell game that the enemy plays with the temptations uh, that are presented to us. The idea that we have an inability to resist temptation uh, is just propaganda of our enemy because in actuality, uh, your resisting causes the devil to flee from you. Uh, I don't even have to run from sin. There is a power dwelling on the inside of me that if I give it life, uh, it will cause my enemy to run from me. Oh, saints of God, that's another praise break for you right there. You ought to stand up where you're at and give God some glory. Hallelujah. Thank you for the Holy Ghost that will cause my enemy to flee from me, that will cause my addiction to flee from me, that will cause my sickness to flee from me, that will cause evil even in itself to flee from me. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, help me, help me. Uh, we believe that Christ uh, was human in every way in which he, uh, we are human. He was human with the exception of being born in the sin condition. Uh, GMFC, if you would think back on my lesson to you concerning seed reproducing after its kind. It's so vitally important to understand that every seed sown will reproduce after its kind. It's impossible for an orange seed to grow an apple, and it's impossible for an apple seed to grow an orange. Every seed has to reproduce after its kind. Uh, we have these uh, uh, seeds of sin or the sin condition uh, reproduced after the author of our seed, who is Adam. Jesus was of the reproduction of the bearer of seed, which produced life in Mary. And we know that this giver of seed was the Holy Ghost. Uh, the seed gave birth to the perfect sacrifice. 
So Christ then had no desire within him to do evil. Uh, this is the purpose of, of separation from those things which produce an environment where the seeds of corruption will grow and produce sin. Sin didn't attract Jesus. Sin didn't look good to Jesus. Jesus didn't take a second look at sin. Uh, moreover, he was repulsed. Uh, he was repulsed by it in his uh, essence. Uh, the problem comes in our attraction to the things that defile us. Christ had no defiled appetite or lust in him which would respond to evil temptation. The temptation therefore was not to see if Christ could sin, but to prove that he would not sin. It is like the acid test for gold. The acid test does not determine that gold is gold. What it does is it demonstrates the purity of the gold itself. But whether Christ could have sinned or could not have sinned, the basic lesson in this temptation experience of Christ does not change. The, this great temptation experience which Christ had right after his baptism is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The gospel of John does not record it because it did not fit within the specific purpose for which that gospel is written. Uh, Mark's account of the temptation is very brief, uh, uh, but Matthew and Luke give a detailed account of the temptation experience. Matthew and Luke do differ in the apparent order of the three great temptations. If you take a cursory look at the text, it'll seem like they're not aligned in the same order. Uh, this does not make them contradict each other because when you have a better understanding of how things are written, the literary, the literary context in which they are written, you'll come to the understanding that Luke's account does not indicate an actual sequence of events, uh, indicating an order to each of the events. Uh, Luke simply uses the word and uh, when he is connecting the temptation experiences with themselves. While if you look in the book of Matthew, uh, you'll find that Matthew doesn't use the word and, he uses the word then. And if you look at the word then with the right little literary understanding, you'll come to the realization that the word then is a term that indicates in order of things. Uh, let's go to the text. Matthew 4 and 5 says, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Matthew 4, 10 through 11 says, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So when you look at the text, you'll find that Luke's account 
fits the order of the threefold assault of evil, which is the enemy's strategy that I spoke about when I opened up today. It's argued by many scholars that Matthew's order of the temptation is the right one in a chronological sense, not only because of the word then, uh, which is a connective word, but also because the last of the three temptations seems to end with Christ telling Satan to be gone. So when we have a reference beginning and a defined end in the text, it shows a chronological sense of things in order. Now we also understand that the writing was a language of finality and conclusion. Uh, I just merely point this out to you today, uh, but you've got to understand really at at the core of this is not an issue worth arguing in the sense uh, of the order of the assault uh, because the order of the, the assault uh, does not change your defense against the assault itself uh, or the attacker and if it changes nothing then its important is truly diminished knowing the correct sequence of the temptation uh, does not prevent you from learning and profiting from the temptations of Christ as recorded in Scripture. Uh, for us to further discuss the temptation battle which Christ experienced right after his baptism, we have to consider the participants uh, uh, in the temptation. We have to take a look at the place of the temptation. We need to focus on the period of the temptation. And we have to understand the purpose of the temptation. Holy Ghost, give me strength. Who is it who entered the octagon of battle and engaged in this cage match of all time? The scripture defines the combatants as Jesus and the devil. Uh, the scripture tells us that two significant conditions exist about Jesus, which we as believers ought to focus on because they are the same conditions that we as believers, as people living in the human condition, have to have and understand if we are to be successful and live a victorious life. They both involve the Holy Ghost. The first condition was that Christ was being led by the Holy Spirit. And the second condition was that Christ was full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Holy Ghost, fill me so that the Holy Ghost might lead me. You have to understand, there's both the directing and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. Both of these conditions are very important, not only in the life of Christ, but also in your life, also in my life, also in the life of every human being on the face of this planet. We must be led by the Holy Spirit. The issue that we face is that many of us, even in the body of Christ, aren't led by the Holy Ghost. We're led by what we allow ourselves to be filled with. You cannot be led by what you are not filled with. You will follow after carnality if you allow yourself to be filled with carnal things 
or you will follow after Christ if you allow yourself to be filled with the presence of the Holy Ghost. God said, I send the Holy Ghost as a gift unto you that you might have power while you're yet living in the earth. Jesus said it was good for us that he go away because while he was still here in the earth, he could not release the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Ah, but when he went to his Father, he sent back to us a comforter, a gift that would embody the believer and empower the believer with such power, such as no man has ever known. Hallelujah. Praise God in the highest. Oh, Lord, help me. Let me take a breath, saints of God, because I feel the Spirit of God moving on me. I feel led by the Holy Ghost to declare this word of truth in your life because we've been bound for far too long. We've been imprisoned for far too long, and the time of our freedom is at hand. But the enemy wants to keep you bound. The enemy wants to keep you in a place where you're stuck. But God said, I'm shaking up the fallow ground underneath your feet that you might be loosed, loosed to carry out his glory in the earth. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Holy Ghost. Ooh. Ooh. Let me just bring myself down. Let me just... Let me just catch my breath. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the spirit of God on me heavy today. Oh, hallelujah. Whew. Now I want you to take a moment to note what scripture says. Uh, Jesus was following. He was following the Holy Spirit. After his baptism, Christ obediently followed the leading of the Holy Spirit in going to the wilderness where he encountered the temptation experience. Uh, the obedience of Christ is the first thing that's emphasized in this prologue to the temptation event itself. Uh, there, there used to be a television show called The Event. Uh, and this television program would focus uh, uh, on always trying to mislead the viewer from truly understanding what the real event was by filling your visual senses with subplots that had the appearance of great importance so you would keep guessing and watching. We have to then understand what was not the leading factor. Disobedience was not the leading factor which led Christ into the temptation experience as is the case with many of us. Thank you, First Lady. Hallelujah. Let me just clear my eyes. Hallelujah. Trying to stay on my notes so that I don't get too preachy today. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, help me. So it's not the, the disobedience of Christ that leads to to the temptation experience. Uh, why is this so important? Uh, you've got to understand, people of God, God is trying to demonstrate something uh, through you. Uh, to the world. He's trying to demonstrate something through you uh, 
to the enemy of your salvation. Uh, hallelujah. Matthew and Luke uh, both state that Christ uh, was led, as I read to you earlier, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tempted of the devil, while Mark states uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, driveth Christ uh, into the wilderness to be tempted uh, of Satan. Now, you got, you got to take a look at the words. You got to understand the context of the contextual presence of each word revealed in the text. The word led from the Greek word ago. It identifies a divine appointment. Uh, the word driveth from the Greek word ekbalo speaks of the urgency of that very appointment. So the temptation is a very important experience for Christ and it was appointed by God. Uh, I'm getting to a point here. You got, to, you got to hear what I'm saying to you. You got to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. The temptation experience was not a result of Christ's being disobedient. Christ was not tempted because he had wandered away from the will of God or rebelled against the word of God. Christ experienced the temptation by divine appointment. Oh, you ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, uh, Bishop is on his way somewhere. I want to go on this journey with him because I need to understand why there seemingly is a, a, a temptation that will not leave me alone. Uh, you have to understand that the temptation, it, it was a day designed by God, uh, but there's a purpose in his designation and that purpose is to render unto the devil, to give unto Satan a powerful defeat. Uh, we sometimes get happy because every once in a while we smack the devil upside the head uh, but God wants you to know there is greater power in you to do more than just smack the devil upside his head. God said I've given you power dunamis power that you might be able to trample the devil and his power under your feet. You ought to give God some glory for this level of power that God has released in your life. Oh. Oh. You have to understand it is the purpose of God to remind the devil that he is powerless against God. And because God is dwelling richly on the inside of you, he's powerless against you. This also redefines for us and solidifies our faith in the power of the Savior over the power of our captor. We can gain confidence in the knowledge that the temptation of life is not purposed by God for our destruction, but rather for God to take that meant for evil and work it out for our good. 
God is trying to get you to the level of understanding that even the temptation itself has no power against you. Understand, people of God, I'm, I'm building a foundation of understanding and knowledge in you so when you return to your freedom and enter the land of temptation, you can have a better grasp of what's going on around you, where it comes from, and the very power that is in you to overcome the power that is in the world. You see, for the believer, uh, this season of disease and restriction is a time of rest and refreshing. It's a time for you to return to God in your thought and indeed as he is preparing us for the next that is to come in this life. All that I hear is that there is going to be a change to that which is normal. There's going to be a new normal for humanity. Things are not going to go back to the way they were. Things are not going to be like they used to be. But there's going to be some new level of normalcy for which we are going to live. But I'm here to tell you that no matter what level of normalcy that exists in the land, the presence and power of God in you will not change. Our problem is we beat ourselves up all the time. But the most part, temptation is not the result of your disobedience, but it's the result of your obedience. Walking the path of obedience does not exempt you from trials, tribulations, or temptation. Obedience will remove the unnecessary trials and the unnecessary temptations of life and these are those temptations that we invite upon ourselves we can be temptation crashers at times and put ourselves in a place where we readily know that we create our own temptation and God has appointed us to some trials and some temptations for the appointment of our good, thus being tempted while taking your journey on the path of obedience, declares being tempted is not a sin in and of itself, but the sin is in your yielding to that very temptation. And being on the path of obedience when tempted gives you great help to keep from yielding to temptation, whereas being disobedient only encourages your yielding to temptation. Here's your bobblehead moment, Elder Marshall. Uh, note uh, what scripture says and who scripture says Jesus was filled with. It's important to understand that Jesus needed to be filled with something because in Jesus' filling, it identifies that there is a filling that is needed in you and I. Uh, but the Bible declares that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only was Christ following the Holy Spirit, but the Gospel of Luke reports that Christ was also 
full of the Holy Ghost. You ought to look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor, what are you filled with? Uh, being led by the Holy Spirit uh, means divine direction. Uh, you ought to tell your neighbor, you need some divine direction. Being filled by the Holy Spirit means divine dynamic power presence. Being led means compliance. Being filled means compatibility. Being led means submission. Being filled means strength. Being led means acquiescence. Being filled means ability. Being led means pliancy to God. Being filled means having the power of God. You see, when you enter a tough battle, you need strength and you need ability. Uh, Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit gained the needed strength and ability to successfully combat the toughest and craftiest of foes. Oh, saints of God, people of God, I don't care what Governor Cuomo has to say. Governor Cuomo is a fool if he thinks that we have come this far by man's ingenuity, that we have somehow outlived the power of this disease by the knowledge and wisdom of man. Saints of the Most High God, Governor Cuomo doesn't speak for us because the word declares you can't do anything without God, but with God, all things, all things, all knowledge, all wisdom, all understanding, all revelation is of God. Governor Cuomo, you ought to get on your knees and ask God for forgiveness. I rebuke your words by the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus because we've come this far, my faith. Hallelujah. God, give me some help in here. Uh, <clears throat> People of God, you've got to understand we can't do anything without Christ. We can't do anything without the power of the Holy Ghost dwelling on the inside of us. If it was able for us to live this life in perfection without the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, there would have been no need for the release of the Holy Ghost in our life. The Bible urges the believer to be filled with the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, the, the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and the 18th verse is, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled in order to live successfully in this life. Uh, we need to be filled with the presence and the power 
of God. Well, how do we become filled with the Spirit? I hear being asked by a listener. The answer that I'm going to give you is threefold. First, there is supplication. Then there is submission. And finally, there is scripture. First, if you want to be filled by the Holy Ghost, I'm going to give you a three-step process where right now you can be filled by the power of the Holy Ghost. The first step is supplication. We supplicate for the filling. We pray earnestly for the divine dynamic power presence of God in your life. In layman's terms, if you want to be filled by the Holy Ghost right now while you're sitting in your house, giving your attention to God, listening to what God is declaring over your life, I'm here to tell you that God has given me the unction to tell you he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh in this day. And if you want the power and presence of God in your life right now, all you need to do is supplicate or simply ask God, fill me, say with me, Father, uh, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Now watch out. You better be careful who you're sitting next to. Uh, you, you might step on some feet because when the Holy Ghost falls on you, you won't be able to contain yourself. You won't be able to control yourself when the power of the Holy Ghost falls on you. But the first thing you need to do is simply ask God, fill me right now with the power, the dynamic power and presence of the Holy Ghost. Secondly, you have to submit yourself. The submission. We submit completely to the will of God and not the will of man. Uh, simply, this is letting the Spirit lead us in not some areas, but every area of our life. And lastly, or thirdly, Scripture. You have to study the scripture to fill your heart and mind with divine truth, which is the sword of the spirit. All you need to do, saints of God, saints of the most high people in the world that are looking for hope, all you need to do is ask God right now, fill me with the Holy Ghost. I pray right now that the spirit of God meets you at the point of your need and respond to your request that you be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that the power of God fall on you fresh and mightily right now Satan the Lord rebuke you every foul thing that stands against the knowledge of Christ in your life I rebuke it in the name of Jesus I bind the power of the enemy I loose right now in the name of Jesus the power of God over your life hallelujah hallelujah Paul says in Ephesians 6 and 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God 
You see, this is greatly needed to fight evil. Even the evil that's in existence in this current day. Supplication, submission, and scripture helps to give us the divine, dynamic, power, presence of God to live life victoriously for God. It's the only way to meet life's struggles and trials and temptations successfully. It's the only way that we can serve God. Hallelujah. The combatant who fought against Christ has been given many names. He's been identified by many titles in scripture. But it, it's identified here in these foundational texts that I gave you like this. Mark calls him Satan. And Matthew and Luke call him the devil. Let me teach you something right now, or as they say, let me learn you something right now. From these references to this enemy of Christ and ultimately the enemy of your salvation, we learn three important things about the devil. We learn about his existence. We learn about his exclusivity. And we learn about his evil. Let me just share this with you. I'm not going to be able to get through this today. But I'm going to break a couple more things down to you and then I'll let you go. Some food for thought, some things to chew on throughout this week. And we'll talk more about this next Sunday. But let me just identify these three things. His existence. You see, scripture does not treat Satan as a figment of one's imagination. The Bible describes the devil as a real person. This fact is emphasized in the temptation account in scripture, which says Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It doesn't say to be tempted of a figment of his imagination. It doesn't say to be tempted of something that was not real, but it identifies the reality of the existence of a singular person. If the Bible be true, then Satan is an evil person and not merely an evil influence or some unidentified power. The trick of Satan is to get you to deny his existence. This gives him greater advantage in doing evil. He's most effective when his existence is denied. Because when you deny the presence of any evil, it only permits that evil to increase and abound. Burying your head in the sand while your house is being destroyed will not save your house. Not accepting the truth of his existence does not make him go away, but rather it invites him to hang out. And those who deny his existence will be the ones who offer the least amount of resistance to his presence. Furthermore, denying the existence of the devil leads to great dishonor for Jesus. Jesus. 
You see, this explains a major reason why the devil wants to conceal his own existence. You see, in the temptation scene, either the devil exists or Jesus at the core of his essence is a sinful person. There's a conclusion that a man by the name of Harry Ironside says, and I love this statement, I'm going to quote him. He says, there are those today who deny the personality of the devil. They say that all the devil there is, is the evil of man's own heart, his own wicked desires, his own evil thoughts. The denial of the personality of the devil is a positive blasphemy against our Lord Jesus Christ. It means that Jesus was to be tempted then by his own evil thoughts, by the wickedness of his own heart. In the denial of the reality of the devil, it speaks or declares that Jesus then was not tempted by a power outside of himself, but by an evil that was on the inside of him trying to express itself. So the record of the temptation experience of Christ really condemns Christ if Satan is not a real person. But the scripture account of the temptation brings honor to Christ by making plain that Satan is a real person and Christ has ultimate power over the real of this very being. It also talks about his exclusivity or his exclusiveness. Uh, the devil is in an exclusive club that only has one member and that's himself. You see, Satan or the devil is a singular person in contrast to the many demons who are the fallen evil spirits who possess men and were cast out by Jesus and the apostles. You see, many of you listening should remember this from when I taught on angels and demons in Bible study not too long ago. Unfortunately, the King James Version does not always distinguish the exclusiveness of Satan in the text. Uh, for many times, the Greek words diamond and daimonion are translated devils instead of demons in the King James Version. The devil, which refers to Satan, is translated from the Greek word diabolos and is always used with the definitive article meaning the devil, not just a devil. Ah, I want you to understand, people of God, there is only one devil, ah, but there are many demons. Uh, uh, this is an idea that I argued, but I believe I have supported this belief with empirical truth based upon scripture, study, and spiritual revelation. Uh, there are not many devils. There is only one devil, but there are many demons that are in his kingdom.
then there is his evil. It's important to understand in this, the context of this battle that is raging between the devil and Jesus, the evil that is being presented. The evil of Satan is very great. His evil is not only seen in his deeds, but also in the meaning of the name Satan, which means adversary in the Hebrew and in the Greek context, and especially in the meaning of the name devil in the New Testament. The English word devil shows up only four times in the King James Version, the Old Testament, and is in its plural and does not refer to the devil. It always refer, refers to devils, not the devil. Now the word devil in the New Testament comes from a Greek word meaning an accuser or a slanderer. So the name devil means to spread reports or to slander. The name devil in verb form, that means in action form, means not only those who bring a false charge against someone, but also those who disseminate the truth concerning a man, but do so in a malicious and insidious and hostile state. Christ said that Satan was a liar and the father of it. Uh, that, uh, that's in John 8 and 44. And when Satan appeared in the serpent in the garden, scripture makes this declaration. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Genesis 3 and 1. Satan's craft and corruption are great. And those who act like him reveal who is behind their deed. Uh, there are other names which show his evil. Uh, they're, they're referred to as the old serpent in Revelation 12 and 9. The great dragon, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 and 2, and the tempter in Matthew 4 and 3. I'm coming up on an hour right now. I think I'm just going to pause for the cause right here. I've given you some food for thought. I've tried my best not to preach, but to teach, but there's something on the inside of me that's burning right now. People of God, you're getting ready to be freed. You're getting ready to be loose from the prison of your home. To go back out into the world. To go back out into the land of temptation. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the place of temptation. And maybe I'll be able to finish this message then. But there's something you need to, that you need to understand. God has prepared you to be victorious over everything that you face when you step back out into the land of your freedom. You're not being loosed into chains. But because of the indwelling dynamic power and presence of God, 
you're being loosed to bring hope to the world. The devil has done everything he can to rob you of life. Whether that's life real or life imagined. But I want you to understand. I want you to know that the devil who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy is bound by God because the word says that he came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There is power in you to overcome everything that you are going to face in the next of life. There is absolute, infinite, never fleeting power in you. God let me know that there are some that are listening to this sermon today who have just tasted the presence of the outpouring of his spirit upon their flesh. And for the first time, they are feeling free. Chains are broken. Shackles are loosed. There is a new normal for you that's coming. And that normal has only to do with the presence and power of God in you like you've never experienced before. I speak a refreshing. I speak a renewing over your life. In the name of Jesus right now, Father, even those that have been filled and those that were just filled loose a demonstration of your gift of life in them. That as we walk back out into the land, we might be that light that is set upon a hill. That we might be the people that restore a level of hope to humanity. That man might understand it is not because of the ingenuity of man that we are free but we are made free by the ingenuity of our creator, God. People of God, I speak directly to you now. As you step back out into society, don't be the same person you were not too long ago, but be the person that is filled and led so that the glory of God might be loosed in and through you. That you might lay hands on the sick and they recover. That you might lay hands on the possessed and every evil power be cast out. For these gifts these miracles, signs, and wonders 
are not things of the past, but they are things of those that are only filled with the power and presence of God. For if you be filled with evil, you cannot cast out evil. For no kingdom divided against itself can stand. But only they which are united in a kingdom can they uh, flourish. Go out as the people of God endowed with the power of God, not in fear, but in triumph not as victims, but as victors. For the battle has already been won. The old saints used to sing a song, don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now, because in the end, you're gonna win. Oh, don't wait till the battle is over, but shout now, because in the end, you're going to win. Truly, these are the end times. These are perilous times. These are the last days. And not too much further hence will man enjoy this season of God's grace. But while we yet can, let us turn to God with the fullness of ourselves, casting out all things that are not like him, let us die to self and crucify our flesh and live unto him and unto him only, not satisfying the desires and deeds of the flesh, but bringing the flesh under subjection of the leading of the Holy Ghost. That our faith would be demonstrated in our works our works leading us not to salvation, but being our herald of our belief in God. For faith without works is a dead faith. It's not my works that justify me, but it is my works that brings light to my faith. So let your light shine in the earth that all men might see God in you. I am praying for you. I am believing God for you and know that I love you. God bless you. God keep you. God make his face to shine upon you and grant to you peace in your going out and in your coming in, in your lying down and in your rising up, in your labor and in your leisure, in your laughter, and in your tears, until that great waking up morning where we might declare, fare thee well, fare thee well. I thank God Almighty that the day is coming when I will put on incorruption, when I will put on immortality, where I will rise up and meet those that have gone before me in the air. And forever will I be with the Lord. May the God of peace keep you. The God of all sufficiency supply for your need. The God of all peace bless you. 
Shalom, people of God. God bless you.